0: hey thanks for joining us on this episode of the phil files christian edition where we take a look at a sermon from the ministry of dr david phillips Hope you enjoyed today. James, um, this James who wrote this was the brother of Jesus. And this may have been the earliest book in the New Testament. Oddly enough, it's one that a lot of early Christians didn't think should belong in the Scripture, in the Bible, for various reasons. But uh, it was written in the mid to late 40s. Uh, about 46 most likely, and, um, and the book was written, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, the book was written to Jewish folks who had, uh, who had been dispersed out of Jerusalem and into other countries. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem after Peter left Go on his mission trips. He he was the elder in the church. And so, let's start reading in James 1, first eight verses. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it. An opportunity for great joy for you know that when your faith is tested your endurance has a chance to grow so let it grow for when you en- when your endurance is fully developed you will be perfect and complete needing nothing if you need wisdom ask our generous God and he will give it to you he will not rebuke you for asking but when you ask him be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with a divided loyalty is, an uns- is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So James wrote this. He wrote this uh, to the 12 tribes, and, and as, he, as he mentions that, as he states that, what he's actually in ch- uh, saying to the, to the people that he's writing to is that you are the true Israel. Uh, the reason Jesus had 12 apostles or 12 disciples, it was a restoration of the nation of Israel. Israel had 12 tribes. And so it was representative of that. James, as he's writing, he's writing and saying to these people, you as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are the true Israel. You are the church. One of the versions says that he was writing to the 12 tribes uh, in the diaspora. Uh, There was a... um, there was a persecution uh, that was going on that began to push Christians out of Jerusalem and into other parts of the world. It, we we kind of see this in Acts. Acts um, uh, tells us that you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost, the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and uh, one of the ideas is that they, um, they may have gotten—the uh, the, the persecution was coming anyway, but that some—there could have been a, a great amount of Christians um, who, who came to, uh, to Jerusalem for uh, the Passover— And they met Jesus, fell in love with Jesus, became baptized, and started listening to the church, to the leaders in Israel, and just didn't want to go back home, and just didn't want to go and share the story of Jesus as he commanded. And so the Spirit decided to move them them back out through persecution. The the church always thrives, uh, oddly enough, in persecution and testing and struggling, and the church began to grow. As the people uh, moved out from Jerusalem back home and to other parts of the world, the story of Jesus began to be told in the uttermost parts of the earth and in the neighboring countries and in the neighboring cities. And so that's who's, who James is writing to. And most likely, also, these were farmers. They weren't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, maybe even migrant farmers. And that comes into play. We see that uh, in chapter 2 some. And that's uh, it's actually one of the themes in the book is this idea of poverty. And so James has written this book uh, to the 12 tribes, the Jewish believers, scattered abroad, and he he says this. Brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Um, That's a hard word to hear. When, when, When troubles come, When trials come, whether it's uh, the loss of a job or the death of a loved one or, um, uh, you know, hospitalization, illness, those kinds of things, the first thing I think of or the first thing I don't think of is to be very joyful in that. Uh, and, And so... We you know we talked a little bit about joy last week. We talked about rejoicing. Let's talk a little bit more about joy uh, in in this. Uh, so joy, um, joy is can be defined as the settled contentment in every situation. That's a decision we have to make beforehand. And every day that we are going to be content in whatever comes our way. It's a decision we have to make beforehand. Because if we don't, then it becomes a response. It becomes an emotional response. If we don't settle this idea that God is going to take care of me and God is going to provide for us, and God is going to love us, no matter what. Then we get, we get, we then we get overcome by the emotion when it, something bad happens. And joy is something that we choose; it's a choice. James says, "Consider it all joy." Consider it. Think about it. This is not a reaction. This is not an, um, a response. This is something that we settle in our mind every day. Every day I am going to take a moment and say, God, thank you for everything you've given me. I trust in you today no matter what comes. It's settled. So, brothers and sisters, when troubles come of any kind, settle it. Um, Decide beforehand, decide every morning when we get up that we are going to trust and believe that God is going to take care of us despite whatever comes. It's a state of being, it's not an emotion. And so the question is not whether trials are going to come for James. The question is, how are you going to respond to it? And James says that uh, that we respond by by thinking ahead and having the subtle idea that God is going to take care of us. He says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So that tells us that faith is like a muscle. Uh, it's this idea that, um, that when when trials and tr- struggles and, and hospital and illness and death and job loss and everything that comes at us, has this, the opportunity... To either grow our faith or destroy our faith, but but when those things happen, God's desire and our um, our response should be to see it as God um, as as a chance for our faith to grow, as a chance for our mus- the the muscle of faith to be utilized. And we all know what happens. The more we use a muscle, the stronger it becomes. The less you use your muscles, atrophy sets in. Atrophy leads to lack of strength, lack of mobility, all kinds of things. And So so James wants us to see that this is an opportunity. it's a test. It's an opportunity. When those things come, our faith uh, has the, the chance to grow. He wants us to see this through the eyes of refinement. Any of you uh, smelt gold or silver or any kind of metals work in that kind of industry? You know what happens when you when you get. Uh, there's a show on Discovery Channel called Gold Rush. Anybody, anybody heard of that? Where they're digging in Alaska and they're trying to find the gold. They take the gold, right, and they heat it up. And then they, they take the, the stuff off the top. And when you when they do that, then you have pure gold. You don't have gold mixed with anything else. You have pure gold. That's the lens through which James wants us to see the, the things that come into our life. Is that God is trying to refine us so that the, the, the life that is left is purer, purer less dirty, less broken, less um, uh, than, than it was before the test? And so he wants us to see this through the eyes of, of us, of God trying to refine our faith and refine our life. And what is produced, he says, is, um, is endurance. In verse 4 he says, So let it grow, for when you, your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The, the word endurance here is, is patient endurance. And the classical Greek, not necessarily the biblical Greek, because it's it's not used uh, in, in the biblical Greek except for here. In the classical Greek, it means above all, perseverance in the face of hostile forces. So it's a heroic kind of endurance. Think of those we hold up as heroes of the faith. Let's think of David. David's an easy one. David was young his dad sent him out to guard the sheep was a shepherd and so uh, when sheep ran off he had to go find them when animals attacked he had to fight them off and then you know, one day Jesse uh, tells David he needs him to take some food to his brothers who were with the uh, Israelite army, uh, facing uh, the F- Philistines. And he takes his the food to his brothers, and lo and behold, this giant man comes out in Goliath. Remember that story? Goliath, uh, and, and so the battle was, uh, Israel would send out their toughest um toughest soldier, and the the Philistines would send out their toughest soldier, and, and they would fight, those two would fight, and whichever one won, then the other nation would become the slaves of the one who won. Make sure I got that right in my head. And And so David... Is it says, What are y'all doing? And, and uh, uh, they said, You know, we don't have anybody that can fight, that's strong enough to fight him. So David says, I'll do it. Remember, Saul, uh, Saul tried to give David his armor, and it was too heavy, it was too big. And David says, um, Listen, I fought the bears, I fought the lions. I've fought all these people, all these animals. I've done all of this. God has prepared me for this moment. And David went out, found five smooth stones, took out his slingshot, gave it a whirl, boom, right in the forehead. Goliath falls down. David cuts his head off. And uh, the Philistines run. David was confident that he could go into battle against the Philistines because he had been tested. He had seen, he saw all of these things in his past as tests that had prepared him for this moment. You and I have had our faith tested We've had moments where we struggle where where we sometimes even question God where where tragedy strikes or pain strikes or you, you lose your job or you you know you lose a family member or you go through something try, go through a divorce or anything like that And God has brought you through that Sometimes by the skin of your teeth sometimes you come out on the other side much better than you were in the beginning god has taken care of you he has loved you he is even when you don't see him working he is working behind the scenes and we we come to the sometimes we only see those things after Uh, After we come through them, right, hindsight, we can turn around and we can say, God was working there. God was working there. God was working there. And we come through that and we realize just how gracious and kind and loving God was. And what does that do when the next time hits? Because it's going to hit. Okay, God, I trust you. And God brings us through those moments. And they may feel a little harsher than the one before. But God is building this endurance in us, this idea that God um, that, that we can stand firm like David. We can stand firm like Moses. We can stand firm like Abraham. And when those tru- troubles and stressors and, and things of life come, we can stand and say, God, you got it. I'm just going to trust you. And the, the thing that it does, the thing that it does in us is it exposes those those testing times, often expose the brokenness within us. It exposes the the the... the, the the ore the, 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 the thing that's not gold the impurities it exposes the impurities in us and it helps us to deal with those and move those away get those out so that we become more and more like Jesus the, the wording in verse 4 when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The idea is wholeness. Adam and Eve in the garden, before they sinned, were whole. They didn't know shame. They didn't know evil. They didn't know brokenness. They didn't know um, what it meant to be naked. They were whole. They walked with God in the cool of the day. Every day, they were transparent. The idea of nakedness is they were completely transparent to God. Nothing hidden. And then, when sin came into to being, when when Adam and Eve sinned, that's when brokenness began to occur. That's when uh, when our bodies started breaking down. That's when sin started um, started you know, got into the world. That's when, uh, you know, people started killing each other. That's when, when we began to um, uh, hurt each other. And we were not whole at that point. But, but when we come to that point where we put our faith and trust in Jesus, it starts us, a, starts us on a journey. And it's a journey to wholeness. The word salvation, we, we, we use that word salvation um, a lot. That word salvation, it, it, the, the background of that word is the, the Hebrew word, I think I mentioned this last week, Hebrew word for shalom, which means peace. And and in the Old Testament, in the, even in, in the New Testament, to be saved is not necessarily just getting to heaven. To be saved is this process of becoming Whole, it's a return to the garden. It's a return to this, to this, um, uh, this way of living and this way of being as Adam and Eve was in the garden. And when we, when we see, um, look in Revelation and and, and see what's going to happen in the end, if we find ourselves in a garden city. We, the Bible starts in the garden and it ends in the garden city. We, we we started there. Sin came into being. We, there's this brokenness that, that happened. And then Jesus comes. We come to the cross and we put our faith and trust in Christ. And now we start a journey of restoration. Of wholeness. Getting back to the garden. Getting back to to being whole. And that's what endurance does. It it makes us pure. It it works its way in us, in this life. Now ultimately we won't be whole, completely whole, until until we cross that line into heaven. But it works in our lives to make us more whole every day as we we put our trust in Christ, as we let Him do His refining work in us through trials and struggles and and the things that come into our life. And that's what James is sharing and encouraging these people. And then he asks an odd question. If, if, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. Now, James is, is often called the wisdom literature of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, there's a category uh, of the, the, the books are categorized, and there's a, a category called wisdom literature, and it includes Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Job. Because uh, the, 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 those books... Are very practical in nature, and so they call them wisdom. It's the wisdom literature, and James is the um, is the wisdom literature of the New Testament. And he says, if you need wisdom, ask for it. This is this is where we run into problems too often. When when struggles and trials come our way, we we don't stop and say, okay, God. We just try to find the answer. We just try to make it happen. We just try to fix it. James says, stop and ask for wisdom. Wisdom is is what it makes us stand in the times of trials. It it leads us to holiness. It's this practical element of living out what you believe. It's not knowledge. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's not knowledge. I know what I should do, right? It is doing what I know I should do. It is living it out in practical ways. And and James says it's something that God gives generously. (laughs) If you need wisdom, if you need to know what to do in a situation, stop and ask. Have any of you seen um, the show The Amazing Race? Anybody watch that show? They, uh, so, The Amazing Race, they get these two couples, they get couples, and they start them in one country, and it, it's like a, a month long trip, a, a competition where you go from one country and, and you, you have these challenges that you have to overcome, and if you win, you move on to the next step stage of the race. It's a pretty cool, pretty, pretty cool show. Uh, you have. It, you don't get to the English until you get back to the U.S. Unless you're in Britain, and their English is not real English, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> But you can imagine being in Italy and trying to... You have to drive places, you have to find monuments and all kinds of things. You can be, imagine being in Italy armed only with a map and a compass, and you have to drive from one place to another and then go to this monument uh, and, and do something. And so you, you make it to the city but now you got to find the monument and you're struggling to find it on the map and so you stop and you ask somebody because you just don't know. And the thing with the race is if, if you don't find it in time, you lose. And so you don't, you don't spend a lot of time driving around in circles trying to find it. They stop and ask people. Too often we, we, we spin, spin our wheels. We drive around trying to figure it out on our own and choose not to ask. And there are a lot of times when the, things, the, the, the answer, we would not necessarily have to go through so much struggle if we'd just taken the time to stop and ask God what we needed to do. and and James says God if you need it ask it because God is generous and he'll give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. But when you ask and this is the key. When you ask him be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from God. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Faith here, this is not that faith that brings us to Jesus. It's the the continuing work in our lives. And James says that when you ask God he will give generously and un, and without hesitation and when you ask him don't don't do it this way um, God um, I need help I'm not real sure if you can do something I'm not real sure if you can provide for this I'm, I'm not real sure about this God that's not how to ask Because what that, what that does is it, it, is it demonstrates that, that we struggle with the character and nature of God and his desire to give and his desire to protect and his desire to take care of us and his desire to love. James says that when, when people ask like that, God's not going to answer. He may not answer. Because because those people are people who who struggle. They they want to find their own solution. Um, on one one day it's it's you know, I'll take care of it, God, and the next day it's God, please help. The next day it's I'll take care next day it's God. I'll take care next day it's God. It's this back and forth where we're not trusting God. We decide we're going to take it over. We're going to to fix it. Uh, God didn't work fast enough, so we're just going to go out and do what we think is the right thing. And oftentimes we find ourselves in mud spinning our wheels because we decided that we could do it better or we could take care of it. And James says, don't ask that way. Don't ask for God to help you. And then not take his advice. Don't ask for God to help you and then wonder if God is ever going to take care of it. Ask it and believe that God is going to do it and and wait, wait on him. We get so impatient. We get so impatient in our faith. James says, don't be impatient. Don't doubt the character of the God who gives unselfishly and generously. Don't doubt the God who can, who, can, who has the cattle on a thousand hills and can take care of you. Don't doubt the one who holds you in the palm of your hand. Don't doubt the one who created this, this world that we live in. Don't doubt him. Trust him. And let it rest in his lap. Because again, we weren't designed to carry that load. That doesn't mean he doesn't ask us to do things along the way. But we weren't designed to carry the load and to know everything. We were designed to put our faith and trust in Jesus. There's a... When Jesus went through, uh, went around uh, in his earthly life he said things like this um, I, I I seek God and I, I do what he tells me to do the, the, the person that I listen to is, is my father in heaven I only do what my father tells me to do. It would be nice if we could live with that kind of faith. I only do what my father tells me to do. And that's that's the kind of faith that James is calling us to. Jesus was, Luke talks about this, Jesus was the second Adam. He was was the human Adam was designed to be, and that we were designed to be. And Jesus shows us in the New Testament that he depended upon his dad for everything. Because he knew. He knew his day. He knew his character, his nature. He trusted him explicitly. That's who we are being grown and refined to be. Someone who listens to the Father, hears what he tells us to do, and goes and does it. Not somebody who worries and tries to take control and tries to do it on their own. Someone who trusts God explicitly, listens to the Father, and does it. May that be our way of living. Let's pray.